Welcome back to another episode of City Hall Pass. I'm Kapel Lungani, counsel to the mayor of New York City. We created this forum, the first of its kind in New York City, to give you, the public, a unique window into the highest levels of our city government. We interview New York City's finest public servants and get them to open up in a way that is both deeply personal and insightful. And on its best days, we hope that our podcast is equal parts educational and inspiring. And now I want to introduce my two co-hosts today, two brilliant women who inspire me every day, Best Chu and Kate Coughlin. Thanks, Capel. Happy to be here. This is Best Chu. I'm currently Chief of Staff to the Office of the Council to the Mayor. Hi, I'm Kate Coughlin, and I currently serve as Deputy Counsel for the Office of the Council to the Mayor. I'm excited to introduce our guest for this episode, the Director of the New York City Mayor's Office of Management and Budget, otherwise known as OMB, Jacques Gia. Appointed in November of 2020, Director Gia oversees New York City's fiscal policy, including the development of expense and capital budgets, the city's bond and borrowing program, and the budgets of more than 80 city agencies and covered organizations. Previously, he served as Commissioner of the Department of Finance, responsible for leading an agency that collects more than $40 billion annually in revenue for the city and assesses over $1.1 million properties with a total combined value of $1.3 trillion. Prior to becoming commissioner, Director Jia served as Deputy Comptroller for Pension Investment and Public Finance, where he oversaw the New York State Common Retirement Fund, the New York's College Saving Program, and the state's short-term investment pool. We spoke to Director Jia about his journey as a Haitian immigrant to New York City, his approach to transforming the Department of Finance, OMB's critical work managing our city's finances during the pandemic, and much more. We hope you enjoy. I want to welcome the budget director for New York City, Doc Gia, to our City Hall Pass. Doc, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Jacques, in November 2020, the mayor appointed you as budget director for New York City. On the day you were appointed, you shared a little bit about your background. You said, quote, when I first came to New York from Haiti in 1979 as a young man, I worked as a parking garage attendant on Fulton Street, not too far from here, while I attended Fordham University in the evening. And there you were with the mayor being appointed to oversee New York City's multi-billion dollar budget. Why did you want to come to New York City? When I um, finished high school and uh, I had very limited opportunities in Haiti to go to college, I came to New York basically to uh, pursue my, uh, my education. And uh, New York has been good to me. He had offered me the opportunity to uh, basically uh, not only to get my uh, college degree, but also to get a PhD. Yeah, I, like you, Jacques, am an immigrant to this country. And that immigrant experience has really changed, I think, the approach that I have to life here in America, both myself, my parents. It's just different when you don't come from a place and, and then enter and sort of come to and grow up in a melting pot like New York City in particular. Talk to us a little bit about how your experience as an immigrant shaped you and your professional career. As you know, it, it was extremely difficult for me. Uh, when I first came here. Like you said, I had to pay my way to college, So, which means I was working full-time and at the same time going to school full-time. So my basic uh, schedule on a, day, on, on a daily basis was about like 16 to 17 hours a day, almost like every day, including summer. So it was extremely, extremely, extremely hard for me. So therefore, from that, I uh, learned and um, always understand and appreciate government programs that basically provide support to uh, people without the means. And so that has shaped my view of, of life in general, because I'm always trying to try to make it easier for the next person coming, because I've been through it. I know how hard it is. And to the extent that I could make life a little bit easier for the next person, I always try my best, you know, in terms of as a policymaker. 
understanding the challenges of being an immigrant. Is there a better place in the world to end up than New York City? I've, I've always thought, you know, my, my dad came here in 1975. He always talks about how New York City, as residents of New York City, we have advanced citizens. You know, we have enormous resources, but with those enormous resources come significant responsibilities. And that includes, as you said, Jacques, lending a hand to the next people through the door. Yes, there is no other place like New York. I mean, it's, uh, it's an experiment. <laughs> it's, it's an experiment. Uh, you have people from different backgrounds coming together. Even though at times in their home, home countries, they can't get along. But they all come here, and for whatever reason, they manage to get along and live peacefully. And uh, it's a great experiment. Yeah. It's a good experiment. It's, it, I mean, you know, you know, it's always challenging everywhere you go. Nothing is perfect in life. It's a work in progress. But it is something that amazes me to see, you know, folks from different backgrounds, different places could manage to get along, okay, smoothly. It's like you're watching the machine going every day. You say, what's making the machine moving so, so smoothly? And it's amazing. It's a, it's a great place, and it's a great place which provides so many opportunities for people. I mean, it's not just you and me. It's, you, could, you could see it everywhere. You see, first, you know, this is the only place on earth, I said to folks all the time, where you could see people move within one generation. <laughs> you know, I mean, move from nothing to becoming, you know, extremely successful. You don't find this in a lot of places on earth. Yeah. You don't. No, I, th I think that's 100% true. I, it certainly doesn't happen in, in India, which is you know, where I come from. The idea of moving from one generation where you have nothing to the next generation where you have enormous it doesn't happen. There, there is no such thing as the American dream. Yeah. Do you think that's still true today? Like that was true in the 70s and 80s, but do you think that's oh, yeah, still, it's still true? true? It's still true. I mean, the, the, the whole reason that we're working so hard here every day is to try to maintain, you know, the uh, doors of opportunity open for people. I mean, that's uh, that's my motivation, government. Uh, I spend my life at a time it's really difficult, but with always that in mind that we have to keep that door of opportunity open so that as many people as possible could go through, through that door. And it, to me, it's still happening today, and it will be tomorrow as long as we keep doing what we're doing every day. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. We were just talking about the immigrant experience, and and oftentimes I've seen in, in countries all over the world, particularly in the developing world, mm -hmm. there are so many people with the talent and capacity that you refer to. It's a question of opportunity. And, and I think that's what we have in New York City that a lot of places don't, is you have the opportunity to come here with nothing in the 70s and then, and then become OMB director, head of several agencies, as you've been incredibly successful in the private se sector. You're an example of the American dream. Yes, I agree. And this is, again, it's the issue of creating opportunities. I believe in that. I tell folks all the time, our goal in life is always trying to create opportunities. As long as you could create as many opportunities for people, then you could discover the talents that people have. If you are, people are not exposed to certain things, you cannot know, you know, you know what kind of talents that they have. Mm -hmm. So, it's, again, it's always opportunities. And we have to strive to create as many as, 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 as much opportunities, you know, as many opportunities as we can so that people can take advantage of them.
when you were in Albany, you worked for you know many years with some state entities. And at one point, you served as the state's chief investment officer and oversaw the New York State Common Retirement Fund, which is a public pension plan for employees of New York State government. And I didn't know until I researched this, is the third largest pension plan in the country with hundreds of billions of dollars in assets. What is some advice you could give for people who are maybe new to government or you know new to careers in terms of saving for retirement and why it's so important to do that? Uh, It is the basic advice, uh, which is start early, as early as you can, because I'm struggling with my own daughter. I'm telling her, she's like, I have time, I have time, I have time. I kept telling her, you know, start as early as you can, because there is something called the power of compounding interest. It's uh, watching the cycle of uh, earning interest on interest. Uh, So the earlier you start, the the earlier, you know, the better off you would be. Uh, I give the, you know, and a good example would be if you had invested $1,000 like uh, 10 years ago. Today, it would be worth like almost $4,500. Uh, start as early as you can because to me, it's uh, don't wait, you know, and we have something in the Caribbean, we call it uh, uh, pay yourself first. Before you start paying all your debt, pay yourself first, meaning whatever you earn, put something, in a, in a, in, in, put some money in, in your saving account. First thing you do. And because that's what's going to keep you going okay, for the rest of your life. Um, in 2014, Mayor de Blasio appointed you as the city's commissioner of the Department of Finance. The Department of Finance collects billions of dollars in revenue for the city. Besides property taxes, where does all this money come from? Uh, property taxes is a huge part of it. But, uh, you have business taxes and you have parking tickets. Uh, you have all the uh, real estate uh, related transactions. Uh, you know, transfer taxes. So you, you know, so you have mortgage recording taxes. So it, it's 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 a lot. Uh, whether it's cigarette taxes, it's it's a whole set of taxes. I mean, as I said to folks all the time in New York City, we tax anything that moves. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a lot. But property taxes accounts for you know half of it. You found many ways to bring the Department of Finance, you know, into the 21st century, um, including using something called LIDAR technology, uh, laser scanning or 3D scanning, to scan neighborhoods to track property use. What exactly is LIDAR and how did it help reform the property tax code? The challenge you have with property taxes is the entire thing is based on data. It's garbage in, garbage out. If you don't have the uh, right data, your estimation, the way you do your evaluation is going to be skewed. So LiDAR technology, basically, it allows us using laser technology okay, to get facade, good data on the facade. That's one of the data points that we use okay, to, uh, to do evaluation. So, so to the extent that what my emphasis was basically, even if we don't have property tax reform, we should be able to use the right data so that people at least... I have no control over the law. But if I use the right data about your property, I'm giving you a reflection. The value that I'm giving you, it's a reflection of the value of your property itself. So to the extent, so we spent a lot of time and a lot of resources. Okay, We hired a lot of econometricians. We hired you know, the best of, of the, and the brightest at, at DOF. It's one of the most professional staff that you have at city agencies. And we collected as much data as possible. And every at every level, so we could incorporate those data into our models, so that the model would take the value, true value of the property. So you were at the Department of Finance. You were commissioner in March 2020 when COVID, you know, came to New York City. 
What do you remember about that experience, both from a professional level, you know, being commissioner and handling COVID coming into the city, and then also on a personal level? A personal level, I would say I'll start with this. I remember one day I was looking out the window. My office was on the fifth floor, and I'm looking at Center Street. No car warning. No, not a single car. Empty. I was like, you know what? This is really serious. <laughs> this is really serious. And not only in terms of the impact he had uh, on, uh, in terms of, the, you know, the health issues on the hospital at the time, because we had the um, hospital being overwhelmed by people, by uh, sick people. But I was looking at it from a uh, general finance perspective. I was worried about the health of the city's economy and the impact it's going to have, that's going to have on the city's uh, revenue. And I started getting phone calls from a lot of the leagues, our landlords, a lot of businesses. And uh, so uh, we had no line of, clear line of sight. Okay, we don't know, we didn't know what was going to happen the day after. So it was, it was a very, 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 very difficult time. You know, people don't often associate the word empathy with government. And it's interesting, Jacques, you've talked about how you changed the mentality at DOF to become much more customer-centric. And here you're talking about how as the city was nosediving financially and people were struggling, here you had a very human element here. Oftentimes people associate government with an untenable bureaucratic system that is very difficult to unwind and, and figure out, particularly when you have problems. I think it's really heartening to hear someone at such a senior level talk about how the economic effects on people, you know, just a common man and woman, affected you in your role and, and how you responded to it in such an empathetic way. I mean, at the end of the day, we are here to serve the people. At the end of the day, regardless of, uh, you know, our differences, you know, we are here to serve the people. That's the way I approach my, my job every day. They're trying to make it as easy as possible. I, I used to tell my staff at GOF at the time, if you're going to have your hands in people's pockets, at least do it with a smile. Okay, that was a simple way of saying to folks, be customer friendly. Try to relate to those people because that could be your grandmother. That could be you. So you may be in a jam one day. We are not here to just penalize you. Uh, of course, we're a tax collector. We're supposed to collect taxes. But we also have to understand if you are not doing well, okay, there's nothing I can do to make you pay taxes. <laughs> All right, there's nothing I can do. So to the extent that I could work with you, that's what we came up with so many kind of payment plans. You know, we devised a lot of payment plans based on people's income. So you see, you know, you're late in your taxes. You cannot make your tax payments. We devise a payment plan for you that basically, based on your income, give me what you can. As much as you can. So instead of saying, you know what, you, you know, we used to have like those rigid payment plans. You pay X, Y, and Z, okay, regardless of your income, okay. And as a result, what we had, a lot of people defaulted. I mean, once you have a default rate of fifty percent, it means you have a problem. You know, you devise payment plans for people, and they they cannot make the payment, meet the payment obligations that, that that they have. So therefore, we had to change things. We devise new payment plans, taking into account their circumstances. Um, in November 2020, in the midst of COVID, you were appointed budget director. What does your day-to-day -day look like as budget director? The last 18 months have been some, you know, some of the most difficult times in my career, but at the same time, very, very, very rewarding. At the time when I took, uh, when I took on the job, and I think everyone thought I, 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 I was out of my, my mind. I was crazy because uh, why would you, in the midst of city just lost 900,000 jobs, unemployment rate, you know, at 20%. 
tax revenue adjusted down by some $10 billion. Why would, why would you want to walk into something like this? The city is talking about laying off 20, 25,000 employees. <laughs> so it was a very, 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 so on a day-to-day basis, you know, the job was basically, I, I can be as creative as you can be to find solutions that would have minimum impact on services. And at the time, the mayor was very reluctant in terms of you know, fire, laying off employees. And how could you find solutions to save money, to find the resources that you need to balance the budget without laying off employees with very, very little disruption of services? So that was our job every day, trying to be as creative as we can be to find solutions after solutions after solutions. But what we did was basically address the, you know, uh, uh, the problem with the urgency that you required. So right away, we imposed the three for one attrition policy. We work with the actuary's office uh, to find ways to minimize our pension contributions. We refinance a lot of our debt. And in the process, we end up uh, saving over $4 billion. That coupled with our uh, reserves that we had built up prior to the pandemic allowed us to basically balance our books uh, without uh, budget, without uh, relying on any short-term borrowing, without uh, laying off any employees, or basically have any major service uh, disruptions. Every day was a tough day. Very, very, very challenging. So, you know, as director of the budget, you have to speak with commissioners every day about their requests for money. And, you know, you don't always get to grant their requests. Sometimes you have to decline them. Um, how did you manage those relationships with commissioners, especially during the critical time we just spoke about when things were so challenging financially? Well, one of the things that I always do is uh, trying to build up trust with uh, people make sure that people see me as somebody who are invested in their success. So once you develop that trust with people, and you're going to say no to a lot of folks, but if you treat their request with respect, it's not like you say no just for the sake of saying no. Uh, you develop that relationship with them. You have that trust with them. And, you know, once you say no to people and then they understand, I tell folks all the time, people may not agree with you, but if they respect you, they will, be, they will be okay. If they realize that you treat them with respect, you come to me with a request. I sit down with you, talk to you about the request, you know, why I believe, you know, it makes sense or why it doesn't make sense or what you need to tweak. Because a lot of times, people sometimes need to tweak the ideas that they have to, to make it uh, work better. And then you work with them. So once you start working with people, you develop that relationship with them. I, I don't believe it's enough for me to say no to people because, again, as I said, every time somebody comes to you with an idea, it's because they want to make life better for somebody. Okay? They have something in mind that they want to do. Okay? So sometimes you may not have the resources okay, to do it. So it may be a great idea, okay, but you don't have the resources to do it. And if you don't have the resources to do it and you have to say no, again, as I said, it's the economizing problem. You, know, you have a lot of needs and limited resources. So it's always the issue. How do you allocate those limited resources that you have amongst all the different needs that you have? So, uh, you know, at times I have to sit down with the mayor, prioritize exactly what you need to do, okay? And once you develop the priority list, okay, and you just basically allocate resources, you know, through those uh, priorities. What advice would you give to the next budget director? First is I wish him or her uh, much uh, success because you're going to have a lot, they, you know, they're going to have to deal with a lot of challenges. Uh, it's not like those uh, challenges cannot be overcome, but, you know, it's uh, the nature of the beast. The other advice is basically work and trust the uh, OMB staff. These are very professional people. And as long as, uh, you know, he or she works uh, with the staff, they're going to find creative solutions to whatever challenges that we are dealing with. 
at the end of the day, OMB's job, these guys know, is to balance the budget. They're going to find a way to balance the budget. Okay, so trust the staff, work with the staff, listen to your staff, and uh, basically continue leaving a solid foundation Okay, for the next administration. We make some serious investment in the republic. And I believe this investment will begin to pay off, okay, in turn. Because as the city begins to fully recover, the tax revenue base okay, will expand. And as the tax revenue base expands, we'll be able to deal whatever manageable IoT gaps that are predicted right now. So we are going to introduce a new game. And every game needs a theme song. Okay, and this theme song is inspired naturally by John Cougar Mellon. A little ditty about Jacques Jihad, a Haitian kid who immigrated to America. Jacques's going to be an OMB star. Maybe he'll even give permission for your par. Oh, let us save. Let us spend. Let the budget come again and again. Hold, hold on to fiscal year as long as you can. Changes coming in September. May release the capital plan. A little ditty about Jacques Jiha, the best dang budget director you ever saw. Wow. Okay, so well obviously done. you now know the game and the instructions to the game by, by this song. Um, we're going to give you two options and you're going to pick one. So for example, coffee or tea. Um, golf or hiking? Golf. Central Park or Flushing Meadows? Flushing Meadows. Public or private sector? Public. New York City finance greenbacks or the New York Yankees? Uh, greenbacks. We're a champion. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And last but not least, exec budget or prelim budget? Exec. Okay. And that concludes a little ditty about Jacques Jiha. Thank you. Jacques, this is for all of us. Uh, I always see my career flashing before my eyes at the end of these when uh, when Kate uh, engages in these. We, we actually don't know what's going to come out of her mouth at the end yeah. of these uh, interviews. Yes, yes, but uh, um, Kate's voice has certainly gotten better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, Jacques, I, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And I, and I want to reiterate what you just said about your staff. You know, when I first got here, one of the first things I worked on was the NYCHA consent decree. And one of the first phone calls I got was from the then budget director, Mel Hartzog. And she said, you know, Capel, we're dealing with a lot of money here. Um, and I haven't heard from you at all. Why is that? And I remember thinking at that point, you know, it is true that every major decision that we make, it, it does go through OMB. And the staff that works for you and with you are truly some of the best public servants we have in this city. They're a pleasure to work with. And any chance I get to work with you, Jacques, or your staff, um, I think we all all agree it makes for a better day for us. You all are ultra professional and extremely competent. Extremely competent people. Yeah. And so thank you, Jacques, for spending pleasure. time with us today. We really appreciate it. Pleasure. I want to thank our guest, New York City Budget Director Jacques Gia, for joining us on City Hall Pass. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and look forward to talking to you soon on another episode of City Hall Pass. This podcast is brought to you by the Office of the Council to the Mayor of New York City. 